going? Good. How many of you were with us on Friday night a couple days ago? Cool. Awesome. How many of you were not? Okay. Not as many hands as I expected, but that's okay. How many of you are not sure? Can't remember? That's all right. Awesome. All right. Well, I, I have something um, extremely simple to share with you guys today. It's, it's something very, very simple, but for me personally, this was something that Again, as I said, was very, very simple, but it, um, it pivoted the entire way that I engaged with my relationship with God. And so I, I want to share you a little bit of that, that story and that journey for me. But before I dive into that, I want to tell you a little bit of the reason why I feel like the Lord kind of brought this, this particular message up to me today. Um, how many of you have, uh, how many, just out of curiosity, how many of you have heard me speak every, all of the four times that I've been here? Awesome. You came back. I'm impressed. Good job. <laughs> um, the, uh, I, I don't remember which time I, I first shared this. It may have been two times ago where when, I, when I've come around this area and I've, I've seen these in a handful of places uh, around the country and around the world where I am... Um, sounds like the ocean's coming in. It's okay. <laughs> it's just a flood. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> uh, or a walkie-talkie, one of the two. Um, so, uh, a few times ago, I, I saw something that I've seen at a handful of places, and I, 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 I won't go into all the details of kind of what, what the background of this is, but I have seen these uh, wells of revival bubbling up to the surface in different places. And I've seen one in Atlanta, I've seen one in, in uh, Texas, I've seen one in a, can, maybe three or four other places that I can think of. And it, I remember when I saw it, one of the things that, that was um, that I understood was, uh, as I understand, in the old days when, when they first started um, mining for oil and, and things like digging for oil, that there were places even in the U.S. that the oil was so plentiful that it was literally bubbling up from the ground, you know, that that was initially how they even surveyed for oil. And it, I got the impression of that, that these wells were so full that they were bubbling up to the surface, you know, they were, they were ready to, to come forth. And it was either the last, last couple times, I think, Ian has, has uh, very diligently asked me, so how are those wells doing? How are those, you know, how's, how's that looking? And um, I, I always admire whenever I, uh, people kind of take hold of something that the Lord is saying, because whether it's a personal prophecy or, or something that someone gives to your region or generally, it can be easy to be like, oh, that's, that sounds nice, you know, well revival, I'll be excited for that to happen. But there is something powerful about recognizing that God may be saying, even if he's saying something generally, he might be saying that to you right. and taking ownership of that and taking even responsibility for that and wanting to see what your part is in that. And I, I admire that about Ian and Tina, that they're, they're always looking for what God is saying and how they can partner with him. And so I was excited uh, last night and this morning during worship where I started seeing angels carrying down um, this, these like uh, big, thick metal pipes, and they were setting them down, and then they um, brought down this big thing that looked like machinery, it looked like drilling equipment, like it was like the kind of thing that you would, at least in my mind, that you would use to set up an, like an oil pipeline or something like that. And as I, it was interesting, I, I normally have a, at least a decent sense of what I'm going to talk about b before. Um, before I, uh, you know, kind of going into the weekend and, just, you know, been talking to the Lord about it. But I didn't, I knew what I was going to be talking about Friday night, but I had no idea what I was going to be talking about Sunday. 
And it wasn't until last night when I started seeing that, that equipment show up that I, I knew exactly what I was supposed to talk about. And I, I don't believe that this is necessarily the, the answer to what you guys need, but I believe that this is, in my opinion, the key to starting the conversation that you guys, both individually and corporately, need to be having with the Lord. Because I feel like what the Lord is doing is preparing to partner with you guys and releasing the revival that he's appointed for this area. The specific outpouring that he has planned. And not, not an outpouring, sometimes we think of an outpouring as like a great weekend. Or, you know, even sometimes historically we look at different revivals and think, well, you know, this lasted from this time until this time. It, it gives the impression of a temporary thing. But one of the things that we go after at Bethel, and I believe is, is God's intent, is sustained revival. It's, it's an, an inhabitation of his presence. It's a place where his presence rests. And, and I believe that that's something that God wants to build with you guys, where it's a place that his presence rests, where his presence is available, accessible, and, and, and easy to access for everybody. And so I, I want to and I think that this, this, again, it's a very, very simple point. It's really a one-point message that I have. But it, if we can grasp it, it will change the way that we approach everything. So um, I got saved when I was three years old. Uh, we were at the post office, and we did, it was a long line. And so I accepted Jesus into my heart. That's, that's really not that far off from what the story is. My parents got saved uh, shortly after I was born, so I grew up in church, and you know, it wasn't until I was three years old I started asking questions about you know, re receiving the Lord and things like that. And so I, I received Jesus when I was three years old. And you know, we, we, uh, I grew up a missionary kid. We, we were missionaries in Austria and Russia and Finland when I, was, when I was a kid. And so I grew up being actively in the ministry. My parents were really involved in pulling us in and you know, letting us pray for people, you know, being really involved in all the ministry that we were doing. And so I, I grew up around ministry. I grew up in the church. I grew up going to Sunday school. But I don't really feel like I stepped into the I don't feel like I, I grabbed a hold of the inheritance of my salvation, the, the, the actual personal experience of my salvation, until I was 12 years old. Now, do I believe that I was saved when I was three? Yes. Did I, did I you know, need to ask Jesus into my heart again? No. But it wasn't until I was 12 that I started having an active and alive relationship with the Lord. And some of you, some of you know my, my story, but I... And for me, the, the thing that was the tipping point, the thing that changed it, it over from, well, this is just what we do, you know, we, we go to church and we pray for people and that's, that's what we do, to, oh, I have a personal and engaged relationship with the Lord, for me was learning about the prophetic ministry, learning that, oh, I could hear God's voice right now. I could, he, 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 he didn't just say things 2,000 years ago, 6,000 years ago, he's also saying things to me right now. He wants to have a conversation with me and for for whatever reason, that was the tipping point. That was the thing for me that said, oh, this is actually a personal thing. And I not only believed that it was a personal thing, but I stepped into an experience of a personal thing. Amen. Now, I mentioned this a little bit on Friday, and it's, it's a topic that I do bring up because it's an experience I've gone through a couple times where sometimes if, if and I'll ask this question one more time, how many of you grew up in the church, more, more or less? Cool. So sometimes when you grow up in the church, there are 
stories in the Bible or there are uh, scriptures that you hear so many times that you hear them over and over and over again that they can lose a little bit of their meaning or they can take on a very specific meaning, meaning that someone taught you rather than an alive meaning that you kind of found on your own. Does that make sense? And so after this pivot point in my life where I went from you know, just, just being kind of a tag-along Christian, if you will, to having an active relationship with God that, that was just between me and him, I started to go back uh, year after year and look at some of these scriptures, and there are certain things that I found that looked very, very different. Um, they looked one way when I was following the the rules of being a Christian than they did when I was having a relationship with God. They, they meant something different. They, they, they hit me differently. And I want to take you guys there real quick if I could. So if you would open up your Bibles or open up your Bible apps, as the case may be. <laughs> I know in uh, Reading, Bill, Bill Johnson made this, um, oops, there goes my bookmark. Um, made this, uh, he made this joke where he was saying that, you know, the, the biggest regret for him with uh, all the Bible apps and, you know, your Bible being on your phone is that it doesn't make the page-turning sound anymore. And so <laughs> someone made a Bible app there that makes a page-turning sound when you turn, which is it's great. You just got to make sure your silence isn't on at that point. But anyway, <laughs> so be it physical or digital, let's turn to Genesis 3. <laughs> um, so this is the, this is the, you know, near the beginning of the Bible. This is, a, again, a classic story that especially if you've been in the church a long time, you've heard it dozens and dozens of times. This is the, the fall of man. You know, this is the moment where, you know, God creates a perfect garden, a perfect place for his, for his children. He, hey, you can eat from any tree in the garden except for this one. This is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from this tree. Now, my most vivid memory as a child of, of hearing this and, and experiencing this story was this Christian cartoon that I watched one time in Sunday school. I don't know why, but this is just the way that I have, have, had always seen this story. And so in the, in the cartoon version, um, you know, the, the snake comes down, is all, you know, dun, 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 scary music. <laughs> and the serpent's all scary looking, and he's talking to Eve and talks her into eating the apple, and she eats the apple, Adam eats the apple. And as soon as Adam takes the bite of the apple, the clouds get dark and the thunder rolls in, you know, and it gets all scary, and they go run off and make clothes out of fig leaves, and then, you know, then the voice of God comes in in like a scary, almost Sean Connery-esque voice, Adam, where are you? You know, this it wasn't very good. It was the best I could do on short notice. I, <laughs> you know, this scary, deep voice comes from the thunder clouds, you know, where are you? And it's... <laughs> Sounds like Sean Connery just woke up out of bed or something. I don't know. Um, so the, it's, you know, it's this scary, sad thing, which obviously from one perspective it was. But as I went back to this story from the place of being in a relationship with a God that I could talk to, I realized that's not really how it looked in the scripture. And again, we know this story, and I'm, I'm not going to read every detail here, but, you know, again, the, the serpent deceives Eve. She eats the apple. If we jump down to, let's go with um, verse 7. So they have just both taken a bite of the fruit. And then it says, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then verse 8, 
Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Now, I'm going to tell you a little secret. God is pretty smart. (laughs) I'm pretty sure he knew what happened. I don't think he was, you know coming in for his daily rounds uh, to be surprised that this had happened. I think that he already knew that they had eaten the fruit that he asked them not to eat. And so rather than necessarily dark clouds rolling in and angry voice God coming over the, the megaphone, it's God's first response to original sin was let's go for a walk together and talk about it. They heard the sound. They knew what the sound was of God coming and walking in the cool of the day. That was a familiar sound to them. They could recognize it from a distance. This was a regular thing that he did. His first response to original sin is let's go and take a walk and talk about it. It's a a very different perspective than God coming in angry and punishing. It's actually man who hid from God, not God who hid from man. And, and yes, sin required a, a boundary. Yes, sin created a distance between man and God that had to be reflected in the relationship. It's, you know, I, I do a whole talk on sin, and I'm not going to go into all the details right now, but we, we, sometimes we think of sin as the, the arbitrary rules of Christianity, which that's, that's not a very happy or healthy way to look at them. No, those are the boundaries of our relationship with God in the same way that my marriage to April has boundaries. Has, has me being married to April changes the way that I respond to other people, changes the way that I treat other women, changes the way that I treat my own parents. You know, If my parents call and say, hey, come out, can you come over real quick and help me move something? You know, If April's at home with all four kids and I just take off without telling her, that's gonna end poorly for me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Because, why? <laughs> For many reasons, but one of which is that's, that's a, that violates a boundary of our relationship. That violates a, is that a morally wrong thing to do? No, but it is a violation of our relationship, you know? And so sin isn't just, hey, don't do these things because they're bad. That is part of it. But what it really is, is these things disconnect you from me. These things are a violation of our relationship, and I want relationship. And so there was a violation of relationship. And so yes, boundaries had to be drawn. But it's a different picture when we, see the, when we see and know a God who wants to be close to us, who wants to walk with us in the cool of the day, than if we think of a God who's looking for us to mess up. So let's zoom forward all the way to the book of Matthew. And I want to, if you don't mind, before you uh, turn your Bibles, I want you to pay a, play a little bit of Bible twister. I want you to keep one finger here in Genesis 3. As we turn forward, don't worry, this is the only other scripture, so we're not going to have to do, use more than two fingers. But <laughs> I put your, put your index finger in the Psalms. And, no. um, I want you to keep one finger here at Genesis, and then open up here to, to Matthew. We're going to go to Matthew 27. If you're using a Bible app, it's going to be difficult for you to keep your finger in that area, but that's okay. <laughs> Get creative. <laughs> And so man has been separated from God. There has been a disconnect. And this, 
this system of, of ritual and sacrifice has been set up to, as, a, as a covering for mankind. That was, that was what the Mosaic law was, was all about, is this is a system of sacrifice so that you can be covered for the time being. It, it wasn't, his, it wasn't the, the apex of his plan. Even in the beginning, he was prophesying a, a Messiah, a Redeemer. But there was a system in place. And before we dive into this, this we're, we're diving straight to the death of Jesus. And um, this is another one of those scriptures that I've heard preached a dozen times, and I've heard this story told a dozen times. But when you draw all of these together, it changes the way that we see it. It changes the picture. I, so this is, this is about something that happens in the temple. And the temple was designed, but originally it was the tabernacle that they used to you know, break down and carry with them whenever they went. And eventually Solomon built a permanent temple. It ended up being a semi-permanent temple, but that's a different story. Um, if you know your biblical history. Um, the little theology joke there for you. Um, <laughs> all the seminary students enjoyed it. Um, but... There was different sections of the temple, and the, one of the ones we're talking about today was, was at the very deepest part of the temple. This was called the Holy of Holies. This is where the Ark of the Covenant, which was considered the place where God's presence rested, uh, what was held. It was this very, very um, anointed place, and it was something that you dealt with with a lot of, you, you treated it as holy. You, you dealt with it with a lot of respect. There was this big, thick veil this big thick curtain that was set between the most holy place and the rest of the temple. And I understand that some uh, people believe that it was the, the, the curtain was like this thick, like it was really, really thick, thick curtain. And, um, and it was believed that if you, just, if you just waltzed in there that you would literally drop dead from the, from the overwhelming nature of God's presence in there. In fact, so much so there was, as I understand, there was just one day a year that they would go in there on the Day of Atonement and that a certain priest was assigned to go in there. In fact, they tied these uh, bell-like things to the bottom of his tunic so that they could hear him walking around and also hear if he wasn't walking around. <laughs> um, and they even went so far as to like, tie a rope around his ankle so that you know, they could drag him out if he didn't quite make it, if he wasn't quite like, right in his heart. Because, I mean, that's just smart, because otherwise you send another guy in there and then... And then <laughs> And then you got two guys in there, and you know, I, it's just—it's smart. It's smart. Um, and so it was—it was in some ways a, a symbol of the separation between God and man. That there was this holy, perfect, um, awesome God. That because of the the this impurity, this this uh, separation that had been established between God and man, that we couldn't just go in there. We couldn't just waltz in there. And so, again, we know this story. Some, many of us have heard it a bunch of times, but I want you to hear it fresh today. So we come to Jesus. We come to the Messiah. We come with, with God, to God's perfect Son who is sent to redeem mankind to God. And Jesus is about to, to complete, um, com complete a significant portion of what he has come here to do. He's about to die on the cross, die, die for something he did not do, to die for our sins. And so we're in verse 27 of Matthew, uh, excuse me, chapter 27 of Matthew. We're going to go to verse, verse uh, 50. So this is the moment that Jesus dies. It says, And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, I want you to do this. We're going to get a little charismatic for just a second. I want you to repeat after me. At that moment. 
I wasn't as charismatic as I had hoped, but that's okay. <laughs> At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. So I, I love that that little piece of clarification was put in there, that at the moment that Jesus died, that curtain was ripped open. This, this place of here is where God's presence is, is most established on the earth, and you can't go in there. That curtain from top to bottom is ripped open the moment that Jesus dies. Not now, again, like even theologically, this is stretching for me. If you really step back and think about it, like not when Jesus is raised from the dead, not when Jesus ascends into heaven, the moment that he dies, it rips open. The, the, the image to me is of a God who could not wait to be reunited with his people, who at the first opportunity that he could show his intention towards his people, he did so. At the very moment that he was redeemed to his people, that we, or rather we were redeemed to him. It, to me, it, it, it evokes this picture of, of a father who is pressing his face against the division between him and his people, waiting for the moment, the very second, that he can press his way through. And he did so, so violently and so urgently that the earth shook. Now, I want you to do something for me. I, I had you keep your finger over here for a reason. Um, if you have a physical Bible, just uh, go ahead and with one finger in Matthew and one finger in Genesis here, I want you just to, for one second, there's just a little illustration. I want you to just hold this up for a second. And if you have a phone, you know, do, do, do your best. <laughs> Try not to look too dainty, I don't know. <laughs> From one perspective, this story that I'm holding in my hand right here is a story of God making something perfect for us, us screwing it up, and him working his way around to fixing it for us. From another angle, this is a story of a God whose intention from the very beginning was to be with his people. And the moment that something violated that connection, he began pursuing a way to fully, completely, and wholly redeem his people back to him. It goes from being a story of, of a mistake that is fixed to a true and honest romance between God and his children. A true story of love. And if we if we pivot at all away from the truth that God's intention once and always has been relationship and connection and intimacy with us, even if we deviate that from that just a little bit, it, all of this reflected glory in this book turns askew. All of this reflected glory in this book Becomes, becomes restraining, becomes restricting, becomes something that it was not designed to be. You know, 
the first time I heard the, the story where Jesus is talking to the disciples and he, you know, he, says a, he takes a few, um, a few of the commandments and says, you know, you've heard it said that you, you, know, you should not commit adultery. Well, I'm telling you that if you even you know, think lustfully about another woman, that it's as if you've committed it. If you, you know, you've been told that you should not commit murder, I'm telling you, if you even have hate in your heart for another man, it's as if you had, had committed murder. When, I, when you hear that from one angle, from one perspective, it sounds like, whoa, you, know, you're not, you don't want to just control my actions, you want to control the way that I think. If we have this, like, I'm trying to earn my way back to God, I'm trying to be good enough for God perspective, but if I recognize that God is inviting me to a relationship with him, that a God who truly is holy and separate and other and bigger than we could possibly be has crossed the full measure of the distance between us so that he could be connected with us, so that he could invite us into his nature, that he's not making the rules more strict. He's showing you what his original intent was, that you wouldn't just have good behavior, but that you would be transformed from the inside out. That you would not need, you would not even have feelings of hate be, be conjured in your heart, that you would not need to fight lustful thoughts, not because you'd gotten so good at it, fighting them, but because you had been transformed into his likeness, that you had received his purity, that you had received his nature unto yourself because he had made it available. Does that make sense? It, it's, this, this is one snippet, this is one pivot point where my perspective on the way that God God's thoughts and God's intention is pointed towards us, shifted. And my, most of my life has been a series of adjusting, of, of, of right, rightening my perspective of how God sees me, of, of, how, of what God believes about me. Because if we... If... If even something as good as revival, an outpouring of God's presence, doesn't come, doesn't, doesn't, isn't received as coming from a place of relationship uh, and connection with him, is it, if it isn't an overflow of our personal, individual connection with our Heavenly Father, then it is temporary, then it is just a Christmas present. It is just a, well, this is a special time of year, so, we're going to, so I'm going to give you something. Rather than, you know, because even relatives that don't like us that much still send us something on Christmas, right? <laughs> you know, like sometimes we think of it that way. When, no, this is a father who wants to walk with us in the cool of the day who wanted to at the very beginning of time and still and fought to ensure that he would be able to do that for the rest of all time. And if we live in that heart and in that mindset, then we can live in an inhabitation of his presence because we recognize that it was never his intention that we should ever be separated from him at all. If we recognize the character of a father that would be pressing his face against the barrier between mankind and himself, then we can operate from that, knowing that we have that wind at our back, 
rather than someone who's up here with his arms crossed, rather than someone who's up here expecting us to not figure out what his plans are, instead of someone who is teaching us what his nature is. I'm just going to touch on a few more of these, and then we're going we're to do something to, to activate this a little bit. Um, if we live from a performance mindset w- towards God, we think that he gives us spiritual gifts so that we can be more effective servants for him. We think that, well, God gave me the gift of prophecy so that I could you know, bring more people to the Lord, that I could you know, fix things that people are having a hard time with. You know, that, that kind of, it's all about what it, the function of it is. If we live out of a, rel- from a relationship with God, then we recognize that the, the first perf- purpose of every spiritual gift is that we could be closer sons and closer daughters with our Father. That we could experience being partners with His nature. And if we do one, we'll always be trying to discern what the will of God is. If we do the other, then we will know that we are being transformed into people that would know his will before he says it to us because we're receiving his nature. We're being transformed into his likeness. That, that in the same way that when my, the first time my father taught me how to take a tire off of a car, he told me which way the, you know, the, the lug nuts were supposed to go. He, he told me what pattern I was supposed to undo them in. He told me how to do every single step. And It's the same reason why the second time he didn't tell me every single detail. Why? Because he didn't want to just tell me how to do a task. The goal wasn't necessarily just do this task. The goal was for me to receive a piece of his nature. My dad's an amazing person at at fixing and repairing things. And so literally by restraining some of what would maybe in the moment be beneficial to me, from my perspective perhaps, if I'm in a hurry to get this tire on, he's actually giving me a piece of his nature. And so if you're in a moment where you're like, God, what should I do? What should I do? If he's not answering, he might be pointing to moments of your history saying, you've seen my nature before. You've seen who I am before. I- I'm comfortable with you taking a, tr- taking a crack at, at knowing what my will is and just going for it. And now it's a balance, it's a dance, because we could just go, well, that means we can do whatever we want and anything. Well, then all of a sudden, that d- violates that relationship again, doesn't it? And it's different than violating a rule. It's violating a relationship, which isn't, you know, I, I was going to touch on this briefly, but there, April and I, th- there's, a, you know, like most marriages, there are some very, you know, <laughs> I'm going to be a little bit... Uh, hyperbolic here just for the sake of making this clear, but like there's certain rules about a marriage like I shouldn't date anyone else. (laughs) That's so obvious that we laugh at it, but that's one of the rules. It's a very clear rule, a very understandable rule. I just don't go out on dates with other people except for my children, (laughs) you know. You know, that's really, uh, my dates are limited to April and my four children. That's really how it goes. Um, Occasionally my mother, I guess, but um, (laughs) the that's, that's, you know, that's obvious, but if we made a rule for every aspect of me respecting our connection, it wouldn't feel very much like a loving relationship very soon. You know, if the exact amount of time that I'm allowed to make eye contact with another female or, or something like that, if, if, if there were specific numbered rules for every single one of those things, that even if I was following every single one of those, 
it wouldn't really feel like I was protecting my wife's heart, would it? It would feel like I was following rules. But if instead I have, a, my, I have my attention towards this connection that I have between my wife and I, and if I feel something that's going on that, that's miles away from any of those obvious rules, but is in this zone of wanting to protect this connection, then I'm not making decisions because I'm supposed to or this is wrong or, or whatnot. I'm, do, I'm making a choice to protect something beautiful that I have. And that is the, the kind of heart that God wants with us. It's not j- uh, just, I want you to follow my will. I want you to become my will. I want you to become my will. My true sons and daughters who understand the family business, who, who he in fact, if you read the Bible, wants us to run it on the earth, <laughs> you know? The other part, too, is that there is, there is a challenge that comes with this, and it's, it's a good challenge, but it's one that we do need to adjust to. Small children need to be told what to do. You know, they need to be told specifically, like, you know, don't, don't run into the street, or, you know, that piece of trash goes in that metal thing over there, you know, just so. <laughs> you know, if they're packing, you know, they need to be told exactly what goes in. I learned that the hard way uh, this past weekend. My son, my littlest son, wanted to help me pack, and so I had this box of clothes, and I was like, oh, yeah, let's put some stuff in there, buddy. And so he grabs a water bottle with no top on it and sets it in sideways. <laughs> which didn't work very well. <laughs> um, little, little, little children need to be told exactly what to do. Older children um, get invited into understanding how things work. And usually in the beginning of a revival, God's presence comes so heavily and so overwhelmingly that it's like we just know what to do. I think that most revivals die because the father, being a good father, takes a step back and sees what we're going to do with what he's given us. And if we view that as he's left us or his hand isn't on this anymore, then we are letting the gift that he put in our hands run through our fingers. If we, but if we recognize that he has the intention of creating mature sons and daughters, then we're like, all right, we have this momentum. What do we do with it? And if we recognize that he's a good father that understands, like my father did, that I may not remember exactly what pattern you're supposed to tighten the lug nuts in or, you know, what, or whether you're supposed to loosen the tire before you lift it off the ground or, or not, you know, that, that a good father will recognize, will recognize the position that he's put you in, that he's put you in a growing position, which means that you're likely to make a mistake. It's one gift that my father gave me that I love so much is that he was so good at recognizing that mistakes happen. <laughs> I remember I was learning to drive, and we, we both worked at his uh, car park shop when we you know getting up at 6 a.m. to go through Los Angeles traffic, and I, I had been a little bit sick the night before, and so I, um, I was super tired, and we're driving. You know, I got my learner's permit at this point, and you know, my dad's taking a nap sleeping, and, um, and you know, it's a nice, soothing Los Angeles traffic, and I fall asleep for a second, and thankfully, uh, you know, slide into the median of the uh, thing. That I found out why they had a little tapered edge at the bottom. It's so that when you crash into it, your car goes wah, 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 and wakes you up. Um, <laughs> and my, the entirety of my father's reprimand for my extremely dangerous mistake was, did you fall asleep? 
And I said, yeah. And he said, you probably shouldn't do that. And then he went back to sleep. <laughs> and, you know, as scary as that moment was, I felt super trusted by my dad. Because even though I made a mistake, I made a dangerous mistake <laughs> just then, my father knew my heart and I knew my father's heart. And he extended trust. It's the same reason that Jesus could sleep in the back of the boat while the storm was going on. It's because he understood his father's intention towards him. And understanding his father's intention towards him allowed him to step out of that boat and release his father's intention on that storm. And so, again, we could go on and on with this, but Jesus was, uh, okay, I'll just touch on this last thing, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have April up here uh, and uh, come and just walk you guys through a little encounter with, uh, with the Lord. Um, so, Jesus was not just our Savior. He did not just come so that he could live a perfect life and die and, re and redeem mankind to the Lord. That, that is, you know, obviously a hugely important part of why he came. But he also came as an example of what it's like to be a son of God. As an example of what it's like to be a child of God and to, to live after his, after his model. You know, and if we look at Jesus' life as, oh, God just sent his son so that he could fix this problem, then Jesus did, came, he did some cool miracles, and then he redeemed us. And that's, that's a good story. But if we recognize that he came and lived as an example of the relationship that we were being invited into, it becomes a truly great story. Because, and you know, Jesus points out to this over again, that you'll do even greater things. Why? Because we'll be a whole community of people who see what our Father is doing and do it, who mimic our dad, who, and you can't have that kind of relationship unless you know him, unless you know that you can see him, unless you know, believe that you can interact with him and connect with him on that level. And if there's one thing that I think more than anything else keeps us from what God has for us, it's a misunderstanding of his nature and intention towards us. If we misunderstand those things, we will, we will not understand his gifts or the opportunities that he's placing before us. And so to, to kind of seal this um, and just kind of put some action towards this, I'm, I'm going to have April come up here in just a sec. And she, she leads a, an encounters class at our, at our school of ministry. And this is just a real simple exercise just to connect you with the Father. You know, and April's, April's going to lead it and, and, and run it. And so oftentimes, you know, she just uh, asks some questions. She may tell you to picture some things. You, you may be able to picture uh, these things right away, or it may just be something that you feel in your heart. The goal here isn't that you, you know, have this awesome, crazy, cool vision. The, the goal here is that we exercise the muscle of extending our trust towards the Father, extending that hand of relationship, of saying, okay, I see your intention for this relationship, and I'm reaching out to pull on that connection and to reach out to receive the benefit of that intention. Does that make sense? And so whether you have a fantastic experience right now or you have a, a quiet, peaceful experience right now, 
That's not the point. The point is that we are exercising this muscle and leaning on something that is available to us 100% of the time. So um, April, if you'd come up and lead us through that. Oh, um, do you want to just have a, um, let's come up and play some music real quick, or? Okay, music, very important. <laughs> hey guys, I'm April, um, Blake's wife, just in case you didn't know. Um, uh, yeah, let me, I'll tell you a little bit about me before I take you into um, this thing, because I, I love connection, like my favorite thing is to get to know a speaker, so. Since most of you don't know me, um, I'll just give you a little bit about what I love and my, some history. So, married 10 years. We have four kids, seven-year-old, uh, Hayden, Finley, November, and Ender. Um, so, it's seven and four, three, two. And, yep, we got pregnant lots in a row. If you didn't <laughs> <laughs> the goal was every two years. That did not happen. Um, Anyways, it was awesome. It is awesome, though. We love it. Um, and then some of the things I love to do is I work for the school ministry for first year, and I love getting people healthy. I think the thing that makes me the most happy is just, like, going after health and getting people healthy. And I love... Um, I love connecting with people. I love relationships. I love going deep and being real and being vulnerable and being honest and um, just not pretending um, that everything's okay. And, and I love um, um, bringing people into an experience with Jesus and giving them like their own connection and their own experience with the Lord. And so one of the things I do in first year is... Um, is this encounters class it's um and it's just connecting people to jesus and so let me tell you a little bit about it um this is funny because blake actually has our son's name on a little card right here cute um <laughs> sorry random note uh so so here's what i do here's what i do so um i have everyone close their eyes don't do it now i'm gonna t tell you all about it so i have i have you close your eyes and I have you with your mind's eye. You can do it with your, your natural eye or your mind's eye. I have you picture Jesus, and I, I have you picture him standing right in front of you. And when you get a picture of him with your mind's eye, um, then I t take you through these questions, and I just have you, have you say, um, it's questions like, Jesus, um, Jesus, what do you love about me? Jesus, what do you think about me? Can you whisper things in my ear? Um, can, do you have a gift for me? And as you're asking these questions, you're, you're using your, um, I, I actually like to use my natural way that I hear the Lord, um, which for me, the natural way I hear him is um, in the back of my head. But so I want you to use the natural way you hear the Lord. You know, you can, there's tons of ways you can use your five senses to hear Jesus. And so any way that you hear him naturally, I want you to do that when you're, um, when you're picturing him with your mind. And then as you're, as you're saying, can you give me a gift, I want you to like picture with your mind's eye him actually extending a gift to you. And I want you to picture unwrapping it like you're unwrapping a Christmas present and opening it and seeing what's inside. And what I love is when you're actually doing all this stuff, I want you to ask a lot of questions. Um, I think what we tend to do is we... Um, 
we say, hey, thanks for the purple heart that was in the present, right? And you're like, thanks for the purple heart. And you're like, great. And then you're just happy that you got a purple heart. And I am too. We're all happy we got one. But what I want you to do is say, why is my heart purple? Like, why did you give me a purple heart? Why did, um, what's the purpose of purple? Like, why isn't it red? You know, you're, you're just asking a lot of like, wondering questions. Um, hey, why is this this way? Or, or, you know, what's the purpose of this? And, um, and so ask a lot of questions. And then while I'm taking you through this encounter, if you're having a, an experience with Jesus, then feel free not to follow me. Like if um, I'll keep walking through questions. And if you're like having a moment with God and you're on an adventure, then just be on your adventure. Don't follow me. But if you need to, if you're like popping, some sometimes you'll pop in and out. Like you'll be thinking about, um, you'll be thinking about the purple heart Jesus gave you, and then you'll be like, "Man, I'm so hungry! I can't wait for lunch." And then you're like, "Oh," and then you're like, "No, no, no! Let's think about the purple heart." And then your mind's like, "Wonder how my kids are doing." And do you know how you go in and out when you're talking to Jesus? So if you end up doing that, just um, don't put yourself down. Just just come back, just come back to the purple heart thing, you know, or come back to picturing his face, come back to whatever, whatever connects you with the heart of Jesus, like come back to that spot. Um, yeah, this is usually a 45 minute class, so I'm trying to do it in a second. Um, so yeah, the goal is really just to give you another way to encounter Jesus. That's the goal of this whole thing. It's we have our, our normal, natural way we talk to him and, and encounter him. And the purpose of this is just to give you another facet and another reason to connect with him. And um, and I love it because when, when you really get intimate with someone, you know, the most intimate thing is to be able to look at someone's face when you're talking to them. And, um, and so I love doing that with Jesus and, and extending that to everybody. And... Yeah. Does that feel good? Any questions? I know this is a Sunday morning, so it's funny to ask if anybody has any questions, but does anyone have any questions? <laughs> okay. Okay, so you guys can feel free to get comfortable. You can lay on the floor. You can stay in your chair. You can um, sit down. You can do whatever. I'm going to play soft music, and... Um, I'm going to walk you through this encounter and I just want you just to just to enjoy yourself just to have a moment with Jesus and have fun with it and so don't feel any pressure to get it right there's no right way it's just going to be a fun moment so can everyone close your eyes will you turn the music down a little bit And I want you to go um, to your favorite spot in the whole world. So if your favorite spot is the beach, if it's your, your bedroom, if it's um, your parents' house, whatever your favorite spot is, with your mind's eye, I want you to go to that spot. And I want you, with your mind's eye, to picture Jesus, and I want you to ask him to come stand in front of you. So say, Jesus, will you come stand right in front of me? 
And I want you to try to see him with your mind's eye. And if you see him with your natural eye, that's, that's wonderful as well. So as soon as you see Jesus standing in front of you, will you raise your hand? Um, any of you that are not seeing Jesus with your mind's eye yet, I want you to use your other, um, I want you to keep trying to see, but if you, if you, if you cannot see, um, then I want you to use your other ways of hearing the Lord, your, your other normal natural ways of hearing him, okay, as I walk you through this. So Jesus is standing in front of you, and I want you to say, Jesus, will you give me a hug? forgot to pray. I'm going to do that real quick. Jesus, I just ask that you come to this room, God, and that you um, you open everyone's mind's eye and everyone's eyes to see you tonight or today, God. And I just ask that this moment feels so significant and so intimate, Jesus, and and that you just come in and, and hang out with us and give us um, just an experience with you, God. And I just ask that it's wonderful and easy and perfect and um, just super fun. And so in Jesus' name. So Jesus is standing in front of you. He, he just gave you a hug. And so say, Jesus, do you love me? And say, Jesus, what do you love about me? Jesus, what else do you love about me? Say, Jesus, are you proud of me? So this is where you would be hearing really good things from Jesus. He'd be talking to you about how awesome you are and how wonderful you are and how proud of he is of you. Say, Jesus, what am I doing well in?
So I want you to put your hand in front of your body and put your hand out. And I want you to say, Jesus, will you put a gift in my hand? And say, can I open the gift? And then say, Jesus, what does this gift mean? What's the purpose of this gift? If it's something that you can put on your body, will you put it on you? If it's a ring or a crown or a heart, will you like put it on your body or exchange your heart for the heart he gave you, that kind of thing? And say, Jesus, what else do you want to tell me? everyone to stay where they're at but um, is anybody not seeing or having a hard time hearing or seeing from Jesus can you raise your hand and don't feel shame at all guys this is this is a 100% new thing for everyone so raise your hand high and all the um, Bethel Atlanta students can you guys go around and um, can you individually take them through an encounter and just ask them questions, see if they can see Jesus, hear Jesus, some, something like that. So will you keep your hand up until um, somebody's able to get to you? Um, can I use um, Light Cities? Um, interns as well to hit all the other hands and so just for all the interns that are the, that are going to do this this is what you're doing you're having them close your eyes their eyes you're having them try to picture Jesus if they can't picture Jesus have them use a different sense so your your um, five senses so have them whatever their natural way is to hear the Lord if it's with their ears their eyes um, a taste 
So the goal is that you're getting them to hear Jesus um, at, at any point and just you're continuing to ask questions until they can do it. So if you say, um, you know, I, I think he gave me a heart and you're like, okay, let's stick with that thing that he gave them and ask questions around that thing until until um, they feel like they got it, okay? And for the rest of you, um, keep your eyes closed and say, Jesus, will you take me to my garden? So everyone has a garden. And it can look wild. It can look pretty. It can look, I mean, they're both pretty, but it can look wild and pretty. It can look um, put together and pristine. It can look like anything. I say, Jesus, will you take me to my garden? And say, will you walk me through my garden and show me what's in there? Some of you have um, a little bench in your garden, and some of you have a lake with a dock. And some of you have a blanket laid out with like a picnic. And so whatever you, you have in your garden, I want, I feel like Jesus said, come sit with me. And so I want you to go sit with him on, on whatever thing that's in your garden. And um, I want you to I want you to um, ask him, Jesus, what do you want to, what do you want to do with me in the garden? What do you want to talk about? to lean back on Jesus's chest and just lay in like lay into him and say Jesus will you wrap your will you wrap your arms around me and say am I everything am I everything you've ever dreamt of am I everything you've ever dreamt dreamt up.
Say, Jesus, is intimacy this easy? Jesus, are you always so tangible? Jesus, we thank you so much for who you are, God. Thanks for showing us a new way to um, connect with you, God. And I ask that your um, your easiness to connect to, the, the way you're tangible, God, the way that you're just an amazing God that wants to always connect with us. I pray that you're always this tangible, God, to each of us. And I just pray that you always come, God. I thank you that you always come. And, and um yeah, I just, I just thank you for who you are, God, and I ask that you just solidify all the things that you said to each person in this room today, God, that you solidify it, God, and that you just always, um, yeah, I'm just so thankful that you always pursue us. We love you so much. In Jesus' name. I'm just going to pray one more thing just to wrap this up, and then we'll, I'll hand it back over to uh, Pastor Ian. Um, first of all, thank you, April, for doing that. That was awesome. <laughs> um, I love what she prayed at the end, that it's, it's true that intimacy is this easy. You know, that's one of the lies that the enemy tries to throw at us, is that, that we have to earn it, that we have to, that we have to build up to it, that we have to be good enough for it. But that's... That's the opposite of the gospel. The gospel is that there is no good enough. There is that, that the only thing that's good enough was Jesus. And he bridged the gap. And because of that, intimacy is easy. Because he bridged the gap. He made the way. So I'm just going to pray for you guys to, to wrap up. So Lord, I thank you that I, I see this place as a place that is that is being established as a source of revival. Not a, not a temporary revival, not a, not a season of revival, but, but an, an inhabitation of your intent and your kingdom on this planet, Lord. I just re release a grace on this leadership team and a grace on this congregation as they go into a season of learning to steward revival, le learning to steward your presence. And I just ask that more than anything, that we continue to grow daily in our understanding and our experience of the depth of relationships that have been made available towards you through the blood of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.